0: Okay, here we are. We're in the middle of Chapter 38, and we just closed the idea that the main thing is the action. And the Altarpist said, with everything that we learned until now, what we learned in Chapter 36, what we learned in Chapter 37, that the most important thing is to engage the body, to engage the world, to engage the animal soul, we can understand this halacha, which seems so mystifying. If somebody has all the proper intention, the proper kavana, but he doesn't actually say the words, it doesn't count. On the other hand, if somebody did the mitzvah, they said the words, they didn't have the proper intentions, it's not the best way to do it. But it counts. Now that we've learned everything we've learned before, we can understand that. Because the most, the most important thing is to actually engage the body and the animal soul. We learned that the soul itself requires no rectification in the mitzvahs. It didn't come down here for itself. The intention is something that's of the soul. So the most important thing is the act. Then the altar said, one second, I want to tell you something. We're looking at the flip side now. The sages said, "Tefila b'leh k'avana kiguf neshama. That prayer without intention is like a body without a soul. You look at that at first glance and you're like, One second. Didn't we say that prayer without intention counts? That is what we said. And what we are not saying here is that prayer without intention does not amount to anything. What we are saying here is that both the body and the soul independently have life force. The body has life force that just brings it into existence as an inanimate object. And the soul has life force that gives it so much power to actually animate a body and make it a living being. While both body and soul have divine life force, in one respect, they're exactly the same. In another respect, they're very different. The way that they're exactly the same is when it comes to concealment of the countenance. Neither the body nor the soul, meaning the animal soul, experience the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. They are both cloaked in concealment, concealment of the divine truth. However, even though they both experience total divine concealment, in another respect, they're very different. And that's when it comes to the amount of life force that's in each of them. In the body... There's a minimal amount of life force. And we're talking about the body as it is separate from the soul, like an inanimate being. There's a minimal amount of life force. In the soul, there's a huge amount of life force. However, like we said, neither of them are automatically cognizant of the truth of their source, that there's nothing else besides Hashem, and what brings them into existence is Hashem. So we're on bottom of page six. We're in the middle of this thought that you can't compare the amount of life force that's in each of them. Even though when it comes to concealment, they're both the same because they are both of this world. Everything of this world is cloaked in the garment of klipatnoga. This world is clothed by one general cloak. That is klipatnoga. Coming up, the altar is going to explain two kinds of things that are in this world. Those things that are permitted and those things that are not permitted. It doesn't contradict what he said, that everything comes through klipas nega. Because all klipas, whether they are rectifiable, which is the one klipa, Noga, or those that are unrectifiable, and those are the three completely impure klipot, they all hide the divine. They're all the same in that. What's different between one klipa and the other three klipot is to what extent they are as if defying Hashem's will. When it comes to klipat noga, the rectifiable klipa, yes, it hides the divine, but it doesn't contradict Hashem, and it could be elevated. On the other hand, the three completely impure klipot are things of this world which, when engaged, can be used in defiance of His will. All of the klipas are the same, in the fact that they hide Hashem. And even those three completely impure klipot get their life energy first through the veil of klipat Noka. So I hope that was not too complicated. It's just explaining the condition of this world. That everything is, this world is put in one big sack. Hides everything. Utter and total concealment of the divine. Now the altar of is explaining the things of this world. This means one, all the things of this world that are permitted and pure, which receive their vitality directly via Klipat noga, and from and from and through Klipat Noga evolve to all impure forbidden things, which derive their vitality from the three. Impure Klipot, yet their vitality too stems from Noga, since it is the intermediary level between holiness, where all life originates, and the three impure klipot, as mentioned above. We can conclude from here, there's no difference between the life force of the soul and and that of the body in terms of revelation or concealment. Since both body and soul are of this world, the life force in all of them, in each of them, is equally concealed, sealed in the veil of Klipa Noga now we're going to complete the thought so what happened was we started a sentence and then we kind of went off on a tangent the sentence that we started was on page six and that was true in terms of concealment of the countenance both body and the soul the light of the divine creative life force is the same in both body and soul and then the author explained how that is that in terms of concealment of the countenance the light force coming from Hashem is the same in both the body and the soul. And then he started to explain, the world, permitted things, forbidden things. Now he's finishing the sentence, true. In terms of the light and life force, they're the same, body and soul. No experience overtly of their divine source. However, in another respect, there's something very different. Afo haha'ara. Nevertheless, the godly illumination, meaning the flow of vitality by which Hashem illuminates and gives life to all creatures of this world, by way of this garment, Noga, shava is not the same for them all, and the difference between the life force. Of the various creatures is in terms of contraction and expansion. In some creatures the life force is constricted and limited, while in others it finds broader expression. And this is an idea that we visited briefly last class. And they write this over here very succinctly, so I'm going to read it. And that is, the difference between concealment, Hester, of the life force and its contraction, which is symptom, can be expressed as follows. Suppose one hangs a thick curtain on a window to screen out the sunlight. The light entering the room through the curtain will be of an entirely different quality. In fact, it might be described as a mere echo of the original light. That's what we call concealment, Hester, the curtain over the window. If, on the other hand, one boards up the window and leaves only a tiny hole by which the light may pass, the light shining through the hole, though greatly restricted, will be the same qualitatively as the original light. This is what's meant by contraction. So too is it with regard to our subject. Klipat Noga is the thick curtain which veils the divine creative power equally from all creatures of this world. This curtain lay, however, varies from one creature to another in degree of contraction. So let's look at it like this. We're looking at the body and the soul and we're looking, how are they the same? How are they different? You know how they're the same? Klipat Noga covers both of them. Same level of concealment. How are they different? Well, we're gonna look at how they're different. If they were different in terms of concealment, that one of them had a thicker curtain and the other one had a thinner curtain, then somebody who doesn't experience that curtain, let's say there is are somebody who is of such sublime nature that this blanket of Klipat Noga does not affect them. When they see the world, all they see is Divar Hashem ruach Piv, the word of Hashem and the breath of his mouth that vivifies it. Of course, a living creature can't really experience life that way. We can experience that intellectually. If we meditate enough, we can come to really recognize that everything is only the word of Hashem. There is a story of the Alter Rebbe shortly before he passed away, where he was just hovering between this world and the next. And he asked his grandson, tell me, what do you see? And he said, I see the beam. And his grandfather, the altar rebbe, said, and I see the word of Hashem and the breath of his mouth that vivifies the beam. Now, of course, a person who's part of this world can experience life that way. Physically, we will all when Mashiach comes. So let's say someone was not subject to the condition of the veil. Let's say someone saw everything before the veil. They would still see a difference between body and soul. Because the difference between body and soul is not in terms of concealment. They're the same in terms of concealment. If they weren't the same in terms of concealment, then when you took off the veil, everything would be equal. But that's not their difference. Their difference is in something else. And that is the amount of life force that's in each of them. In the body, there's a minimal amount of life force. In the soul, there's a huge amount of life force. So when it comes to concealment, they both experience that concealment. There's nothing else besides Hashem, and yet they don't sense it. However, in terms of contraction or expansion, there's a big difference. The amount of divine creative power that vivifies something that's inanimate or the body is minimal, the amount of divine life force that animates the soul, whether of a human being or of an animal, is copious. In the physical body of a living creature and in an absolutely inanimate being, such as stones or earth, in which no life or spirituality are apparent since they lack even the power of growth, ha simsum asher ein kamayu, the ray of divine creative power is in a state of unparalleled contraction. So minute is the life force within these inanimate beings that they lack even the power of growth. So in order to understand these words of the alt Rebbe and those that are coming up, let's preface with the following. This world generally is divided into four categories. There is daimim, tsemeach, chai, medaber, that means the inanimate, the vegetative, animal life, and the human kingdom. Four categories. If we're going to categorize the world more broadly, we're simply going to divide it in two. Life force that animates bodily things, life force that animates spiritual things. And let me explain, when we're talking about life force that animates bodily things, the two things that are in this category are inanimate objects and the vegetable kingdom. Now, inanimate objects, clearly, their life force just brings them into existence and they're something inanimate and they don't do much. But even Kaya the power of growth, that spark which is in the plants, for example, which makes it more spiritual let's say than a stone nevertheless its entire life force is still a bodily life force meaning it's all about growth taking this small body and making it into a bigger body as in contrast to let's say animal where their soul gives them the power to hear and the power to make noises and the power to see and it's it's a whole complex thing going on the life force of the plant is just about taking the small body of the plant and making it into a larger body. So both inanimate and vegetative are of the category of bodily life force. The life force that's within them is bodily life force. On the other hand, the soul within the animal and the soul within the human being are of a spiritual nature. And the life force that animates them is of a spiritual nature. So there's the... So there's the the bodily life force, and there's the spiritual life force. Two categories, which really are are four. So we talked about the body, and we compared it to actual inanimate things. Both body, we're talking about just the body itself as it is separate from the soul, both body and inanimate things have a very minimal amount of life force, so small that it doesn't even have the power of growth. In vegetation, the ray is not so greatly contracted. The phenomenon of growth indicates the presence of something more than mere physical matter. Some degree of spirituality is in evidence. In general, all things of this world are divided into four categories mineral, vegetable, animal and man, meaning the speaker. So there are is a profound amount of levels in this world. What are these levels? The amount of divine life force that animates each thing. We're talking about in terms of Tsimtsum and Hispastas, contraction and expansion. If we're going to look at one created being to the next with that special microscope, we'll see things very differently. We'll see how much life force each of them has. The amount of levels there are in this world is innumerable. However, generally, we can divide everything into four categories. Inanimate, a mineral, they call it, vegetable, animal, and man, calling man the speaker. And we'll talk about that a little later. Corresponding to the four letters of the divine name, the tetragrammaton, from which they are derived. Each of these four categories receives its vitality from one of the four letters. Okay, so the tetragrammaton, the name of Hashem, yud and He and Vav and He, is the name of Hashem that brings everything into existence. Each of the letters of this divine name Yud and He and Vav and He are a channel of life force that pump existence and life force into everything. The four categories that we mentioned get their life force, each from a different letter of Hashem's name. So let's look at the first letter of Hashem's He, the Yud. The Yud, and this is something that Altareva writes in Iggeres Hachiva chapter 4, the Yud is a seminal point. And that corresponds to the sphere of Chachma, and that corresponds to man, the speaker. So that's the highest level of these four categories. That's man, that's connected to Yud, that's connected to Chachma. The next letter is the letter He, which is connected to the sphere of Bina, comprehension. So whereas Chachma in the Yud is that seminal point, that flash of the idea that you haven't yet worked out, but it's that inspiration and that aha moment. Hey, the next letter corresponds to Bina, which is fleshing out the idea, dissecting it. It's the the breath, the expansion of that idea. And that corresponds to animal life and corresponds to Seichel, the intellect. Because let's look at the difference between seichal, intellect, and emotions. When we are in an intellectual space, we can understand different ideas that seem to oppose each other, and it doesn't, it's okay. The same mind can understand one idea, they can go and understand a completely different idea, and it's able to do that because it's not stuck, like an animal that can roam Whereas a plant, in order to stay alive, has to be stuck in one place. When it comes to the intellectual faculties, so chachma, bina, and da'at, wisdom, comprehension, and knowledge, or the inspiration, the cogitation, and the application of an idea, you can call the very same person a chacham, that means someone who has a lot of chachma, and the same person could also be a maven, somebody who has a lot of bina. And that same person could also be somebody who has a lot of da'as. He could be, I'll have all three, and that doesn't make a problem for him. On the other hand, when we're talking about emotional character traits, such as someone is a person of chesed, a generous person, kind, turns a blind eye to people's faults, and then another person is a strict person who is very disciplined and scrutinous, the same person cannot transform from being a person who is one to becoming another kind of person unless they really seriously work on themselves. And even that, there's only a certain amount of change that they can affect within themselves because the Midais are stuck. They're not able to be changed in that way. So that's a lower level. So so first we said was the letter Yud for Chachma and that corresponded to man. Then there is the letter hay for bina, comprehension, and that corresponds to the animal who is able to move around, roam, not be stuck in one place. And next there's the letter vav, which has the numerical value of six, and that corresponds to the six midot, six of the emotional faculties, not including the seventh, which we'll talk about soon, and that corresponds to plant life. Plant life being harnessed to one place, if it's to stay alive. And it goes from being small to becoming large. Like emotions start out very small in their inception. They can be inflamed till they become huge. That's plant life. Plant life corresponds to the letter Vav. That's where it gets its life force from. The letter Vav of Hashem's name. And finally, we're looking at the last letter, he. Which corresponds to the Sephirah of Malchus, sovereignty, which is corresponds to the letters of speech. Sefer Yetzirah calls the letters of speech stones; they're inanimate in the human soul, and it's it's represented by the letter Hey because all letters of speech are first formed by Hey. What is Hey? Hey is just that breath, that then goes into a letter and becomes something of a form. The Zohar calls the hay, Asa Kalila Deleis mishasha, a light letter that has no substance. It's that substanceless letter that gives form to all other letters. And that corresponds to the inanimate. The stones, actual physical stones, and in the human soul, what are the stones? They are the letters of speech. While the emotions of speech can grow, the letters of speech don't change. They've stayed the same. So everything in this world experiences total concealment. In terms of Hester, in terms of concealment, everything of this world is the same, spiritual or physical. The soul or the body, everything is the same in terms of Hester. But when we're talking about symptom and hispastus, contraction or expansion Oh, there are very different levels in this world, many, many levels, but generally there are four. In the lowest level, inanimate, the contraction is huge. As we move up higher, there's a much greater level of expansion. These four categories are coming from their derived, their nurture and life force, their existence from the name of Hashem, Yod and Hei and Vav and Hei. Yud is the highest level, and that's for man. Hey is the next level, and that's for animal. Vav is the next level, and that is for plant life. And finally, the lower letter, He, corresponds to inanimate objects. So let me sum up what we said until now, and then we're going to move into this next section. And that is that, yes, everything in this world experiences the same veil of Noga, which totally and utterly hides the truth. In that way, everything is the same. However, when we're talking about the amount of life force in different things of this world, that's when we're going def- to find a difference. Now, remember, why are we going into this discussion of life force and body and soul Because we're trying to figure out the statement of our sages. Prayer without intent is like a body without a soul. So first we were coming to understand body and soul. Now we're going to take it over to mitzvah and kavanah. And we have to remember every mitzvah and every kavanah is the will of Hashem. And every mitzvah and kavanah is an act of attachment to Hashem. This amazing story that I love so much, and I know I told it at class before, but I have to share it again because it's so profound and it really brings this message home. So this is a story of Reb Mendel Vechter, who was a Satmer Hasid, and slowly he became a Chabad Hasid. started out with learning Tanya with the famous Rebbe Yoel Khan. He first made a condition with Rebbe Yoel Khan that he will only study the Tanya if he only sticks to the words of the Alter Rebbe. He did not want to hear any explanations of the Rebbe, so that's how they started out. Rabiul Khan had to give explanations of the Rebbe because there is no way to understand certain concepts without understanding the Rebbe's explanation. And eventually, he told him these explanations that I told you. Just by the way, they came from the Rebbe. And so he decided he wants to become a Chassid, and he became a Chassid of the Rebbe. But for various reasons, it actually was dangerous for him to become a Chabad Chassid at that time. So whenever he would go to the Rebbe's for he would have to hide so no one would see him in 770. He would hide in the broadcast room, the WLCC room. He would look down at the Fabringen through a peephole in the wall. So one time he is running to a Fabringen clandestinely. And he's still at his home village or however you call it. He's in his community. And he is just finishing up a meeting with the Dayan in the community. The Dayan is a prominent rabbi. And he wants to leave already. And the dying says, no, 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 no. One second. I owe you 14 cents. as changed for something. So he looks at him like, I mean, seriously, 14 cents? So the dying said, why do you think 14 cents is insignificant? Do you know what you can do with 14 cents? I don't think anybody's going to like the answer. With 14 cents, you can betroth 14 women. Okay, so I guess he gets his 14 cents, and he leaves. He goes to 770. He's hiding in the room. Nobody sees him. He's in the broadcast room. He's looking down at the Fabringen through the peephole. In the middle of the forbringen, the Rebbe says like this, A person can be walking down the street and find 14 cents, and they would think, what is the significance or value of 14 cents? And then the Rebbe says, do you know what 14 cents are? 14 cents means 14 times tzedakah, which means 14 connections to atzmos ein baruch 14 connections to the very essence of Hashem. And this is what we're learning here. What is a mitzvah and what is kavanah? And I'll tell you right from the start, each of them is the will of Hashem. And each of them is an attachment to Him. But there's going to be a comparison of the act or the speech of the mitzvah to a body and the intention of the mitzvah to a soul, as we're going to see. So we're in the middle of page nine. One second, I I have to give an introduction before we start this. Okay, so we looked at this world and we said everything of this world is the same in terms of concealment. And even if we move up into higher worlds, Everything of a world is going to experience some level of concealment. There's not a creature that doesn't experience concealment. Because in order for, let's say, a most sublime angel to love Hashem, he has to have something of an identity of his own. Does anybody have a true identity of their own? No. But in order to be in existence, you need to feel like you have some identity. So everything in existence that is created experiences some form of concealment. In this world, everything experiences total concealment. Now, the flip side of this, or the opposite of this condition, is a mitzvah. A mitzvah is a reality where there is absolutely no concealment of the divine countenance at all. Whereas this world has total and utter concealment, A mitzvah is a reality, which is the will of Hashem. There's nothing else to a mitzvah besides being his will. That means in a mitzvah, Hashem does not hide himself at all. Both a mitzvah and its kavana, its intention, are the will of Hashem. And so neither of them experience concealment of the divine. Now you're going to say, one second, I've done a mitzvah before and I didn't experience total and utter revelation of Hashem. We're not talking about how we feel about the mitzvah. We're talking about how Hashem hides or does not hide in a mitzvah. When it comes to a mitzvah, Hashem, from his part, does not hide at all. He is totally revealed in the fact that this is his will. Of course, somebody can do a mitzvah in total obscurity, just do this act and not sense that at all. But from Hashem's part, in the act of a mitzvah, he doesn't hide at all. He is completely and totally expressed. This is his will. And as we're going to see later on this chapter, chapter, he and his will are one. That means a mitzvah expresses Hashem's essence. And in a mitzvah, he is not at all hidden. He is completely revealed. This is true both of the mitzvah or the speech of a mitzvah as well as the intention of the mitzvah. So this is true both in the body of the mitzvah The body of the mitzvah, meaning just the act or just the speech, as well as the soul of the mitzvah, which is the kavanah. In terms of concealment of the countenance, just like body and soul are equal, they too are equal. Both the act and the speech and also the intention, body and soul, are the same in that they experience no concealment of the countenance at all. Now, just as the illumination and flow of vitality found in the mineral and vegetable categories bears no comparison or likeness to the illumination and flow of vitality clothed in animals and man, since in the latter two categories it is clearly apparent that they are alive, Although in all four categories, the divine animating light is the same in terms of the concealment of the countenance. Meaning, in all four categories, the inner aspect of the divine light is concealed equally. And in all four categories, the light is clothed in the same garment, namely the garment, the veil of Noga. Hence... In none of these categories it is it apparent that their vitality is actually godliness. Yet despite this equality, the vitality of inanimate beings and plants is incomparable to that of animals and man. So the way that Rabbi steinzal's puts it is he says, everything in this world shares the common denominator of noga. So there's the man, there's the chair he sits on, and there's the food he eats. While they're so different in terms of life force, nevertheless they could... Use each other and live with each other because they are part of that same framework. Everything in this world is part of the framework work of Klipat noga, whether it 's the person, the chair, or the food they 're all the same in terms of concealment, even though they 're all the same in terms of concealment the The light within them is so different aint <laughs> bli Similarly, there is no comparison or likeness between the illumination and flow of the blessed insoflay, meaning the inner aspect of his will without concealment of the countenance and with no garment whatsoever, as it radiates and is clothed within the mitzvahs consisting of action whether actual action or mitzvahs performed through speech and verbal articulation which was regarded as actual action as mentioned above when performed without kavana, the illumination of the angel found in these mitzvahs bears no likeness or comparison with the superior illumination and flow of the blessed angel flight radiating and clothed in the kavana of the mitzvahs of action. So in terms of concealment of the countenance, they are the same. No concealment of the countenance whatsoever. But just like you can't compare the amount of life force in inanimate and vegetable to the amount of life force in animal and human, you cannot compare the amount of divine illumination that shines in the act of the mitzvah without kavana. Or the speech of the mitzvah without kavanah to the amount of divine radiation that shines in the intention, the kavanah of the mitzvah. Now, here is something very interesting. Because tell me, weren't you a little confused the whole time? We're talking about body and soul. It gets so complicated. Because first we're looking at the statement of the sages. What did the sages say? They said, Prayer. Prayer. Without intention is like a body without a soul. And then we had to scratch our first instinct because our first instinct as soon as we hear that statement is that we're talking about a a dead body, God forbid, which is inanimate, which is as if valueless. And we had to say, no, no, that's not the right perception. Let me take you to a new perception here. The perception is a body has a life force of its own. A soul has a life force of its own. We're comparing both of these. There could have been another way to make that statement. For example, they could have said, tefillah without intent is like a body as opposed to a soul, or even as something inanimate in contrast to a soul. Why did they have to say a body without a soul? We had to then go into a whole treatise to understand, no, a body has a life force and a soul has a life force because something amazing happens when a soul comes into a body. We were talking about prayer without intent or a mitzvah without intent. They alone are compared to the body without a soul. At that point, kavana intention has a huge advantage, great value above the act, the lifeless act of the mitzvah. However, when there is kavana in the mitzvah, then it's not inanimate anymore even the very act and the very speech of the mitzvah go through that transformation where the body becomes a living being even the act and the speech of the mitzvah become suddenly a living being and at that point there's no advantage anymore in the kavana above the act at that point when a person has intention and infuses life into the act or the speech of the mitzvah then both The act as well as the intention share that same level of profuse divine radiation. It is only when we speak about the act as it is without intention or the speech as it is without intention is it compared to daimem, an inanimate object or a body that does not yet have a soul. But the second we infuse soul within that speech or soul within the act then the act itself becomes transformed and it becomes illuminated with the same profuse amount of divine illumination that shines within the very intent of the mitzvah. So let's look at the intent of the mitzvah and let's look at the act of the mitzvah. Both the intent and the act of the mitzvah are all about attachment to Hashem. But what's the difference? The intent of the mitzvah only screams attachment to Hashem. Its very exercise is an exercise in attachment. When a person meditates that through this mitzvah they are attaching to Hashem. Through this prayer they are attaching to Hashem. They are accepting the yoke of heaven. They are accepting the yoke of mitzvahs. They are cleaving to Him. And that's actually the only way to attach to Hashem is through a mitzvah. Because... We all want to attach to Hashem, right? From the second human being is born, they crave unity. Why does a human being crave unity? A human being craves unity because their soul craves to be one with Hashem. Everybody's soul craves to unite with Hashem. How do we do that? The Rebbe says clearly in the fourth chapter of Tanya, it is impossible to attach to him except, By way of the 248 positive commands. If we want to attach to Hashem, let's get real. We're finite. Hashem is infinite. There is no way for a finite being to attach to the infinite. Unless, of course, he throws us a rope, which he did. And that is the mitzvahs. That's our way of attaching to him. We can grasp his limbs. The 248 mitzvahs are his limbs, as it were. The way he expresses his vitality in this world. We can grasp onto that and attach to him through the mitzvahs and only through the mitzvahs. So a mitzvah is an act of attachment. The speech of the mitzvah, the act of a mitzvah is an act of attachment. The kavana, the intention of the mitzvah is an act of attachment. However, a person can do a mitzvah and it will not at all be apparent that through this act they're attaching to Hashem. You see it all the time. Someone can just do a mitzvah and not think much about it, not think, you know, they just say a bracha with casually. It is an act of attachment, but it's entirely possible that a person will not feel the attachment. However, kavanah is not only an act of attachment. Its whole theme is attachment. It expresses that attachment. When a person has the intention, I want to attach to Hashem, he is expressing the very core and the very theme of the kavanah. So from this we can see that the divine will that radiates in the kavana of the mitzvah is so much more than the divine will that radiates within the act of the mitzvah. Even though they're both acts of attachment, you can totally sense that attachment in the kavana. You cannot necessarily sense that attachment in the act. Okay, we're comparing just like you cannot compare the amount of life force in these various levels of the, the world, you cannot compare the amount of divine light that shines within the mitzvah. Now the altar of it explains what kind of kavana he's talking about over here. What type of kavana? what type of intention he refers to here. Because there are different types of kavanas. In fact, there are even these mystical unions, these kavanas that people have to make these unions in the supernal world. For example... A person, when putting on tefillin, can have the intention that he's drawing down meichin into za, the intellect into the emotions. That's not the kind of kavanah the altar was talking about over here. When a person has that kind of kavanah, it's an enhancement, but it's an enhancement to the body of the mitzvah. What type of kavanah constitutes the soul of the mitzvah? It's this kavana that the Altar Rebbe is specifying right here. Meaning, man's intention to attach himself to Hashem by fulfilling his will as expressed in the mitzvahs. Since he and his will are one. So when a person does a mitzvah with intention, that intention that is shining with profuse divine light is this specific intention. It is this specific intention that is called the soul of the mitzvah. It is this specific intention that gives life to the mitzvah to the point that it makes it like a living being. What is this intention? It's the intention to cleave to Hashem. A person is stirred with love for Hashem. He's in awe of Him. He wants to connect. He does this mitzvah with this intention. I am connecting to Hashem with this mitzvah. And how am I connecting to Hashem with this mitzvah? Because a mitzvah is the will of Hashem. And Hashem and His will are one. This is very different from the human experience. Because when a person desires something, they have a will towards something, there's the person themselves. And then there's the thing outside of them that they desire. So a person wants a house, there's them, and then there's the house which is outside of them that they desire. However, when it comes to Hashem, His will is one with Him. We, of course, do not have the power to understand this because, as the author writes later on in Egeris HaTeshuvah, that if we are to imagine something, we can only understand it when we first find it within ourselves. So you want to imagine wisdom, compassion, or any other trait, will. In order to relate to it, you think, how is that within myself? And then you can understand it as it is outside of yourself. But the human experience is nothing like the way it is in the divine. Because the way the divine will is, it's total, simple unity with Hashem. His will is Him. The mitzvah is Him. We want to cleave to Him we grab onto his will, which is the mitzvah. Out of this deep thirst and longing to be one with him, we want to attach to him, we do his mitzvah. And that's the intention. That's the kavanah that is the soul of the mitzvah. It is the, this specific intention, the one to cleave to him. So let's wrap up what we said until now. And that is that everything of this world experiences utter and total concealment both the body and the soul, but in a different respect, they're completely different. And that's the amount of manifest divine life force that's in each of them. In the body, there's a minimal amount of life force. In the soul, there's a copious amount of life force. This world in general is covered by a veil, klipas naika. Everything in this world experiences total concealment. Yet, in terms of contraction and expansion, there are different levels. Generally, there are four. Daimim, Temea, Chai, Medaber, Inanimate, vegetative, animal, human. When we compare the amount of life force that's in each of them, there's a huge difference. Now let's take it over to the mitzvahs. The mitzvah is considered the the act or the speech of the mitzvah is considered the body of the mitzvah. The intent of the mitzvah is considered the soul of the mitzvah. In one respect, they're exactly the same. No concealment of the countenance whatsoever complete and total exposure of Hashem. Both the mitzvah and their, the kavana are the will of Hashem. They are exposure of Him. They are both an act of attachment to Him. However, you cannot compare the amount of divine illumination that radiates just the dry act or the speech of the mitzvah, to the divine illumination that radiates within the kavana of the mitzvah, the intention of the mitzvah, the specific intention to cleave to him. Within the intention to cleave to him, there's a copious amount of revelation of the divine. Within just an act or just speech, there is a constricted, limited amount of revelation of that supernal will. So I'm closing up class for today I know that we're studying complex subjects, so I welcome any questions.